So welcome tonight to um, Christ, well, three, really, I think. We have four up there, Craig, but it's three. <laughs> this was a blend of lessons, so that's why we've had sort of three in brackets four, but it's it's our third Christ lesson. Um, as, as I shared in the email, uh, I mean, we'll do our standard, you know, review and overview of today's lesson. And then these stories tie in really nicely with, with the hook. Great, everyone gets to see my text messages r rolling in, hey? <laughs> How do I? Yeah, I don't really want that sliding across my screen. Um, anyways, I trust you all. You know, if it's private, you just don't read it. And if you do, I'm just kidding. Uh, right now, it's my friends that are talking about the rapture. So there you go. You can learn something on the side as we're going through Establish. Um, yeah, so we're gonna we have these stories that tie in really nicely tonight um, to the hook, and that's the whole intention of the hook. When when we designed the hook uh, last year, the whole idea with each lesson is that it's kind of like this coat hanger. The coat hanger has one hook. We always want to make sure, and and we're working at at improving this all the time. That the hook is kind of something that the whole lesson can hang off of, uh, different points and truths. But it's, it's a memory cue that we'll always kind of go forward with. It's like, what was that lesson? It's like, well, you know, Jesus was fully God, fully man. Well, that doesn't tell you everything, but that it's a cue in your mind to go into the stories of, well, he, you know, he had uh, authority when he spoke in the synagogue. He had this, that, you know, he resisted temptation. So tonight, the hook that we have um, is Jesus turns things over uh, and he heals and he forgives. If you remember last week, I think it was last week, um, the Bible Project guys sort of had this image of, of uh, sort of the earth being reversed, uh, like a portion of the earth as Jesus turned everything upside down. And, uh, and Craig and I had a real fun time this week talking more about that. And, you know, did Jesus, was he just like a rebel rouser? Was he just trying to cause a ruckus or stir the pot? Um, and, and of course, I, I, that wasn't his heart to just stir the pot needlessly. And, and did he turn things upside down? Or did he write things, you know, in terms of like a ship, writing it up from being capsized? Um, so we're going to just be talking lots about that and see how that comes out. Um, but before I go too far into that, let's uh, talk a bit about last week. Um, da -da -da, get the... So last week, we, um, we talked largely about Jesus' temptation. Um, are you supposed to be sharing your screen right now? I am. Why did it stop? Oh, because the call messed up, and then I didn't reshare. Okay. And also, I don't know if it's anything for other people's, but whoever has the dog, every time the dog barks, Brent cuts out. <laughs> so if they can mute their <laughs> their computer, that'd be awesome. <laughs> mute the dog? Does that work? <laughs> no, you just mute. Well, that'd be nice. Or else, this is my. <laughs> so okay, so in case you didn't know, we're in establish uh, one hundred and one, and this is the review pictures. You guys seeing that now? There we go. Is that good? There. Is that cleaner? So, we had the message from John the Baptist to repent and be baptized, and then Jesus comes and and um, is baptized by John. John the Baptist thought that Jesus should be the one baptizing him. 
but this was all in accordance to the scriptures that Jesus would, would um, be baptized. John the Baptist was a forerunner, about six months older than John than Jesus. Um, as Jesus was baptized, there was like God's approval speaking from the heavens, and something like a dove descended upon him, and that then marked. Um, kind of the beginning of his ministry going forward. He was, or sorry, into the temptation and then his ministry going forward. So Jesus wandered in the desert for 40 days, 40 nights. And, and here we saw um, further fleshing out of his fully human and fully God, where he was hungry, um, he was tempted, and, and yet the fully God, he, he was remained sinless. The tempter was always external, never internal like it is for us. Um, and um, at the end, the angel came and ministered to him, and he began his earthly ministry. There was a few P-lettered words that we used that, um, to kind of boil down his temptations. Does anybody remember what they were? I hope you do, because I'm struggling at the moment. <laughs> Maybe one was power. Provision. Provision. Protection. Protection, Protection. yeah. Power, provision, protection. And I mean, you can kind of see this, this temptation as you rewind the, the biblical clock. You think of the Tower of Babel. It's like they wanted to have a, a city for, for protection, um, you know, a city for power, uh, for glory. Um, and of course, cities are places of, of provision in many fronts, right, where the food and the trade comes into. Um, anyways, you just see that that's often the temptations that we face today too, you know, get promoted, um, receive the accolades, um, you know, financial security and make sure your home is safe and make sure you kind of got this nest egg and all these things sheltered around you, insurance, you know, insurance, 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 um, etc. And so that, that was last week. Um, Jesus is now going to launch into his ministry. And um, so Jesus, the, the son of God, who God says he is well pleased with, begins his earthly ministry so he's about 30 years of age. Um, he started to call his disciples already. He ends up calling Levi in this lesson as well. Um, and <clears throat> we, we have him teaching in the synagogue with that second picture there. Um, he's heals there. There's a demon-possessed man that he casts out a demon from. Uh, he heals a person that is a, is a castaway, a, a leper, a person with a disease. Um, and then the paralyzed man who's let down from the roof, as well as, we don't have a picture for this, but there's one who had the, the, the shriveled hand that he heals as well that we'll talk about tonight. Um, so these are all kicked off with the verses from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So here we have Jesus tagging on to what John the Baptist was saying, where John was saying, repent and be baptized. Jesus is now saying, and believe the good news. So this is the first time that we've heard this term. A lot of us are quite familiar with the good news or the gospel news. Um, but what is it? I mean, I guess as we boil it down, just the good news of Jesus is that he came as a deliverer to establish his kingdom to set humanity free from sin, Satan, and the lake of fire. Um, so we'll see how Jesus lives and models what God intends his kingdom to look like. We talked a bit about his, uh, his, you know, the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven in the previous lesson. 
And that has a quite a spectrum from, you know, eternal in heaven, eternal on earth in people's hearts, uh, you know, those who have allegiance and devotion to him. Um, and, and the thing is, is that it's not, a polit- it, it's not the political or religious kingdom as many of the Israelites were expecting uh, of the one who would be the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer. Um, and so Jesus many times acts, even though he is a Jew his, himself, and he works within that, he also moves counterculturally um, to the established, established systems and rules that, remember that we were talking, the Pharisees were just mounding things on top of, you know, the Ten Commandments and things on the Sabbath. They were burdening the people. And Jesus takes a lot of those things and just turns it over uh, because he was trying to strip away uh, what, was, what was false, what was misleading, uh, a burden. So, the religious leaders are going to see their world turned upside down through this part of Mark as we look at it. And, uh, and another way to say it is he's going to really bring God's kingdom right side up because they've, they've gotten things backwards. So this is what the pictures are showing. We'll dig into the scripture. Um, as I said, the hook is Jesus turns things over as he, as he heals and forgives. So we have about five stories tonight that we'll dive into, and Craig and I are just going to tag team off of them. Um, so he'll start with the first one, and then I'll do the second, etc. And uh, so hope you guys got your seatbelts buckled up and, and are ready to do some jaw exercises so we can get the vocal cords going. <laughs> Everyone start together. <laughs> so I mean, as we go through each of these stories, uh, you'll notice in your student note, uh, a simplified version here. We don't have questions sort of throughout, but as each each story, we really want you to be thinking and trying to catch and, and jot down things. About, you know how we how we see or understand more about Jesus. You know, get who he is, what he can do, how he treats people, how people are responding to him, um, and how he's demonstrating what God intends his kingdom to look like. So, I mean, that's a few things while we're going through these stories, again, about you know, who Jesus is, what he can do, people respond to him, how he's treating people, and kingdom of God, <clears throat> what are we seeing in, in these stories? So, uh, and I think there's a note at the, sort of the beginning of the, the story, sort of capturing that in, in the student note. So, but uh, let's go to the first story in, in Mark chapter 1, where, um, yeah, I should pull this up myself, um, Mark chapter 1, 21 to 28. And actually, I'll, I'll read this for us tonight, and then I've got. Uh, we're gonna. We're just gonna see what we, what we can uh, learn from this this story. So, um, just before this, I mean, Jesus has called some of his first disciples, and um, they're now traveling with him. And here we have them. Uh, verse twenty-one. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? 
a new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So that's our first story tonight. So, I mean, as we begin this, um, I just want us to, I mean, I'm talking to a group that has some, you know, some Bible study background and stuff. What is important about the Sabbath day? Because um, this is going to come up in, in another story later on. What, what was the Sabbath for, for, the, for the Jewish people? It was to be their day of rest. Yeah. What else do we know about it? Uh, Judy's speaking. You're on silent, though, oh, I think. Judy, are you muted? Try again. There we go. They had a lot of rules and regulations for the Sabbath, that things that they could not do or touch or just any experiences that they had for the Sabbath. So just they went into the synagogue and, and the teachings, but that was their Sabbath. Yep. And, I mean, God was the one who originally established that, right? Back with the, if you go back to the, the, the law that God gave to Moses, and even there, there were some of those, those regulations. But as Brent just mentioned a moment ago, I mean, as time has gone on, I don't know what it is about, uh, you know, religion and uh, our, our own desire, what we think is our effort to try and please God or make ourselves right with God. I mean, the, the religious leaders, they added more and more rules to what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath, what was right, what was wrong. And so um, we have this where Jesus, again, he's, he's coming into this. This is part of this, this cultural clash a little bit with God's kingdom and what was sort of the established system of the day. And we're going to see it a little bit here, and again, in another one of our stories. So, but I just want to give us that, that context here as we go into the story. So, so Jesus is there, you know, he's teaching. So, what what do we what do you notice in this story about Jesus and what he's doing, and how the people respond to him? Well, people were amazed because he taught with real authority, uh, as opposed to the teachers of the law. Uh, one thing that uh, was made even more so when he uh, drove the evil spirit out of the out of the man. Uh, they kind of tied that into uh, teaching with authority as well. Yeah. Um, now it doesn't go to a lot of detail here, but one other place where that comes out is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew five, six, and seven. Uh, the end. They uh, the same comment is made that, that Jesus taught with authority, not like the teachers of the law. And one aspect, uh, I think it's Lee Strobel that I, I read this from, is that uh, the teachers of the law tended to quote someone else. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, this rabbi or that rabbi would. Uh, uh, rarely, if ever, say something totally on their own. They would always have someone to back them up. Whereas Jesus would say, "But I say to you," mm. and then uh, you know, and then I think uh, when he talks about uh, building on the center of the rock, you know, if anyone who hears these teachings of mine 
you know, that, that set him apart that mm -hmm. uh, no other uh, rabbi would claim that type of authority that, like, what I say to you, um, saying that he is, what he is teaching has authority because it comes from him himself. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that, that's very true. I mean, again, culturally, that was... That happened quite regularly. They were they were follower of another teacher. Or they would, yeah they would do that. Um, now why why is it that Jesus could have this? I mean, think about John chapter one. John chapter one one first couple of verses. What is it about Jesus? I mean, John one it says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." And we identify Jesus as the Word, the Living Word. So Jesus is God. This is his word, right? As they're, as they're opening up the scriptures, he's the one who wrote them in the first place. Mm -hmm. So not only is he not quoting somebody else, this is him. This is, these are his words. This is his teaching. These are his truths that he's sharing with them. So even like when he says it, you, you know, this is what I'm saying. This is my teaching. He's the one truly that has the authority to, to teach this way. Um, and people recognize that. Again, it was it was a, a you know a it's a tangible thing they, they they knew something was different here, um, so we can have Jesus teaching, um, and we have this comparison. Uh, how would you if you were one of the religious leaders there if you were hearing some of this how would you be feeling? <laughs> Judy. <laughs> It happens nowadays too when they see or don't they hear something that they don't like, um, just like puts them on edge. Puts them on edge, yeah. Well, hey, he teaches with authority. You guys don't. <laughs> I mean, how would that just like cause a rub there? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's not highlighted here, but I can just imagine what those 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 religious leaders might might be thinking. Um, now, again, we have this the teaching here, but then. What happens in this story? Well, Jesus is teaching. I don't know if anybody's been a, been a speaker at a church before. Can you imagine this in the middle of your sermon? What happens? <laughs> <laughs> a demon-possessed man. Yeah. Screams out. And, and what does he say? Some real, really important words here of what the demon says. Yeah. Identifies Jesus Christ as the Holy One of God. The Holy One of God. Yeah. And what, what was what was he worried about? Being destroyed. Yeah. yeah. Have you come to destroy us? I mean, the demons know what is what is set for them. You know, the lake of fire, destruction, and so. Um, yeah, I mean, the demons are, are you sending us there now? Are you, are you, so, but he declares, again, he, he, for those who are listening, and maybe we were listening for it, they would have heard the Holy One of God. Again, this is another, this is a name that's given to Jesus here. We've already been, even in the, the, you know, the, this is the third lesson, we've been adding this list of names and these traits of who Jesus is, and is growing, uh, and different from different people, and now we have an evil spirit declaring, again, that Jesus is God. He's the Holy One of God. Um, you don't just call it anybody that. So, and then Jesus, what could he do? He rebuked him. He silenced him. Yeah. 
And then he said, come out. Now, did the, did the demon have a chance to sort of negotiate that or try and work his way around it or fight it? In this translation, it says, you are bound. That means he was uh, silenced. Yep, you're silent. Be quiet. Yep. Muzzled. And the spirit simply shook the man, and he came out of him with a shriek. The demon had to obey. I mean, again, this, this, is, this is God on earth, God with us, Emmanuel, and the demon has to obey. Jesus has the authority here. So, um, and again, the people responded. I, um, Tony, as you mentioned, after the teaching, but also then after this, they're even more amazed. And, you know, like, what is this? They're, they're asking a question. This is something different than they've seen. What is this? It's a new teaching with authority. And he's even giving orders to evil spirits, and the evil spirits obey him. Something new is happening. So this little glimpse of God's kingdom, you know, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And here Jesus is, is giving it, he's modeling, he's, he's giving an example of it for the people. Um, so just, just quickly from the story, what are some things that we're, we're learning about Jesus in this story? He has authority. He has authority, yeah. The evil spirits were scared to death of, of him. Like, yeah. they just, uh, yeah, like, you know, coming out with a shriek, they, they're, they're crying out like it's it's not like this is a, a calm discussion. The, the evil spirits are scared to death of what might happen because Jesus is there. Yeah. Yeah. And right now, Jesus, I mean, on the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, and he's, he's I mean, he, somehow he would have been recognized as a teacher, or as a rabbi at this point. Again, what that, we don't find out the story behind that as to why he's allowed to teach. So, um, but in that, again, he's showing something different about who he is, how he handles scripture, the truth that he's able to teach with authority, with power, speak to demons. So, again, story number one. We're seeing a lot about, again, who Jesus is. So, Brent, do you want to go into number two? Sounds good. Yeah, so we, we're going to jump forward to verse 40. But uh, in between these, there, you know, Jesus actually ends up healing uh, Simon, the, one of the disciples' mother-in-law from a sickness, a fever. And then he says he drove out many demons from other people. Um, so let's pick it up at verse 40. Um, could somebody read the next five verses, 40 to 45 of Mark chapter 1? I will. On one occasion, a leper came and threw himself down in front of Jesus, pleading for his healing, saying, You have the power to heal me right now if only you really want to. Being deeply moved with tender compassion, Jesus reached out and touched the skin of the leper and told him, Of course I want you to be healed, so now be cleansed. Instantly, his leprous sores completely disappeared and his skin became smooth. Jesus sent him away with a very stern warning, saying, Don't say anything to anyone about what just happened, but go to a, find a priest and show him that you have been healed. Then bring the offering that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a living testimony to everyone. 
But no sooner did the man leave than he began to proclaim his healing publicly and spread the story everywhere of his healing. Preach. So there is so much going on in these five verses. <laughs> there's the obvious and then there's the subtle. Uh, before we dive into that part though, what do you guys know of a leper, in the, especially in this day, that day and age? What can you guys tell me? They were considered unclean and were often kept in different uh, communities outside of the main towns. That's right. And what, it, what, it, what was leprosy exactly? Infectious skin disease. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, was a, it was a slow deterioration of quality of life to death, wasn't it? Um, so yeah, Kevin said unclean, so they were outcast. Uh, I mean, what a shame, shameful thing to, to feel in a culture where it's all about community. It's all about family. Um, and, and here, your community ends up being other lepers because you have to go live in, in like a leper camp. Um, so... Practice uh, social or physical distancing from uh, <laughs> lepers. Yeah, now we got COVID leprosy, don't we? Yeah, and... Uh, yeah, no one in their right mind would dare touch a leper. Yeah, and when they ran around or when anyone saw them, they'd have to they'd have to yell something to the effect of "unclean, unclean," you know, basically announcing like, "Look out! Here comes here comes the gross one." Um, and, and because even the person with leprosy would have understand the graveness of their disease, I'm sure they just would have taken it with humiliation, right? They would have accepted it because they realized the truth of the matter. It was certain death. There was no cure, not in that time. Um, man, what a, what, a, what a thing, what a way to go to end their life. Slow, slow and miserable. So when we look at these verses here, especially the first couple there, 40, 41. I'll just read that one more time to hone us in a bit. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And then, of course, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. So, how did the leper approach Jesus? How would you describe his, his approach? He came to him humbly, but also in um, faith, having confidence that Jesus would heal him or could heal him if he was willing. Yeah, yeah. How do you see that? Desperation in his action, too. Okay. Yes. For sure. And there would have been fear there as well, because. As, as you said, in the culture, lepers were not allowed to approach people. And actually, there it was allowed or okay to stone lepers that approached other people if they were unclean. And so for him to approach Jesus, and then we know he approached him quite closely because all it says is Jesus re reached down and touched him. It didn't say Jesus went up to him and touched him. So this leper approached, came right up to him, knowing that he was different and said, look, I, I need help. And so, yeah, it's kind of the, the desperation, the, the fear, the... Yeah. 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 I like how you guys are seeing seeing these little words and, and realizing, yeah, the reaching out. He was close. The the kneeling, I think you said, Brett, like 
there was humility. Um, as I just look at those words and see it, I, I, I like to read through. I have um, a, a William McDonald, the Bi Bible Believer's Commentary. And, and from there, I really liked a few things that he picked out on this. You know, on his knees, that was like reverence, you know, reverence and, and, and humility. And he, he says he begged, another sign of humility, if you are willing. So he was humble and submissive too. You can, there's the belief, make me, that's the personal, clean, acknowledging his need. I'm dirty. I'm diseased. I'm desperate for help. So, so I just love that. Look, like looking, it's basically every other word that we can identify, you know, reverence, humility, submission, believing, personal, and acknowledgement of need. Um, yeah, that is desperate. And I mean, who, would, who of us wouldn't be if that was our predicament? Um, and, and Kevin kind of already got there, but let's talk a little more about it. What was surprising of what Jesus did? Well, he touched him. Yeah. That's the, that's the big part, yeah. What is that revealing about Jesus? Well, again, it's just the idea that he's outside of the culture. He didn't move away. He didn't try to stone him or rebuke him or, or any of those. He simply said, yes, I'm willing, and, and touched him. There's everything outside of the, the cultural norm for how you would react to an, a leper approaching you. Yeah. Does it backing up a little bit from the touching? Does does anything stand out to you guys there? Well, there's that word compassion, but you know, depending on what translation you're in, I I was a little surprised earlier. I was reading it in the NIV, and that word was translated indignant, and I couldn't figure out how that word indignant would fit in that uh, context. Mustn't have been NIV because that's what I have, and it says compassion. I think the new NIV uh, does have indignant. Oh, huh. The new international version, yeah. Oh, okay. The, the newer. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the 1984 uh, version, uh, NIV is uh, compassion. Compassion, good. Okay. What was that? Mine also says indignant. I don't actually know what version it is, but um, I looked it up because I thought that was weird too. And my, the definition I got was showing annoyance at what is perceived as unfair treatment. Uh -huh. So maybe yeah. Jesus, okay, I maybe it's written in that way because of how he feels towards how others treat the leper. I think it's actually a textual variant, and there are two, two the different manuscripts have different words in there, and obviously they decided in this one and the newer one to go with a different variant. It's actually different words. Hmm. Which one's more accurate, Becky? I have no idea. I mean, I think it, I think the the I think the um, the evidence is pretty even behind each of them. That's why you'll find different ones in different translations. Hmm. Is because there's there's no there's no uh, the textual thing. It's pretty even the evidence. The reason I go with indignant is because a lot of times they'll go with the one that seems the most unlikely because the scribes would be more likely to change something that seemed odd. Hmm. Right? So that they, they tend to they tend to go with unlikely readings. Interesting. 
And I mean, whichever it, you know, is more accurate, um, and that's not necessarily the point of tonight, but we can see that whichever it is, it's just a fascinating discussion. Um, God, God's son, Jesus, was moved. He was moved. His spirit was, was, was pricked, if you want to say, um, to action. And, and what, what does that tell you guys about Jesus, fully God, fully man, that he was moved? That emotions are very important because we try to hide our emotions. But here is Jesus, God. That well, this one says Greek. Some Greek manuscripts have saying that Ju- Jesus was moved with anger at the leprosy, not at the man, hmm. the sickness that he had. But it's moved with compassion, so that there's so much emotion. Yeah, there's. Uh, yeah, I would say emotions have a role. Yeah, I mean, the big thing is that, to me, it also shows his humanism. Like, you know, that, that backing up our previous lesson, he, he, he feels. He is compassionate. He is, um, yeah, he cares, right? He's not... reflecting of God as well in that, like, some have a false notion of God is that he is uh, distant and not in tune with what's happening in the world. He doesn't really care. He's not involved in the world. And here is uh, the God who came near, near enough to touch. Yes, yeah. And make a difference. And make a difference, yeah. Where religious leaders would not touch him, would not go near the lepers, would have nothing to do with sickness or things like that, even when they pass by a man that's laying on the road, the religious leaders, the ones that should be doing these things, had nothing to do with them. Yeah. So, I mean, he heals him. We see that. He touched him. Um, and then he, I mean, that's the primary part that we're focusing on for this this story. But it's interesting, the rest of the verses there, you know, he says, don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest. Uh, offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And it's like, I was thinking about that. Like, what, what's going on there? Why would Jesus command, you know, A, to stay quiet? Uh, you know, he didn't want his case publicized. Um, but he wanted him to go before the priests. And so as I looked into that, it was interesting to see that Jesus was offering an opportunity for the priests to, to discern. Is this the son of God? Or is this guy just some Yahoo? And... Um, what would, the, what would the priest say? Would they perceive that he's the long-awaited rescuer-deliverer? Or, or would he scoff? Um, so, it's pretty amazing that we see him right here. Everybody thinking that they've got the right system in place. We, we, we ban the lepers, those who are sick, those that are unclean. And we distance ourselves from those who are sick and needy. But Jesus comes and says, no, no, you've got it wrong. This, it's all about compassion and, and love and care. So there's, there's another time where Jesus turns things seemingly upside down, but in his economy, upside right. Yours, take it away there, Craig. Story three. Well, you also have the idea that we've now seen in, in both of the stories. Uh, first, you have 
the demon who calls out who Jesus is and, and just put, says plainly, this is who you are, I know who you are, and Jesus says, be silent. And then you have this instance where Jesus tells him, do not go, do not tell anyone, do not make this public, go just straight to the priest. And so you have also this idea, we know from other scripture where he says it was not yet his time, and so he was not revealing himself in certain ways, and yet quite obviously doing it still. But it is, you see this idea of there was um, a timeline of, of when to necessarily really publicly make himself known or how exactly he was doing it. But you definitely see in both of these where he's not trying to become public at this moment. Yes. Yeah. yeah. At the risk of uh, extending this longer, that's all good. 42, uh, I find the word immediately uh, fascinating. Uh, that just reminds me of God in uh, the days of creation. You know, he spoke, and it was so. And here, uh, it says, be clean, and immediately he was uh, cleansed and cured. You know, if she'll point to Jesus being the creator, uh, you know, that immediately it, uh, it responded to his words. If uh, Jesus had been the author of evolution, it would have probably taken 2.3 million years for him to be cured of his leprosy. Yeah. And with that, I always wonder what is more, what is more awe um, inspiring that the leprosy began to kind of heal over the months or right before their eyes. And yeah. Yeah. And we'll notice again that Jesus, although he's being this, this countercultural right, right side upping things, he's also, uh, how he said, go and, do, go and do what the law requires of your cleansing. He's still functioning within their culture, still honoring, again, because God had established certain things to do. Again, it's his word, his law, again, it's Jesus being part of that. So he was still reinforcing those things that were, were supposed to be done. Um, and yet, in the whole scope of that story, that's where Jesus is just being different, treating people differently, showing things differently here. And uh, again, it's going to our next story here, where Jesus heals the, the paralyzed man who's lowered down through the roof. So if we can go to Mark 2, and we're going to read from 1 through 12. Some, is there someone who could read that? I would like to read that. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carrier, uh, a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all. 
so that they were all amazed and glorifying God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Wow. So from the from the end of the last story, you remember how that ended? When Jesus said, Don't go and tell anybody, he ended anyways. What happened to Jesus then? It said that you know he couldn't as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet people still kept coming. So as we, we have this, he's in Capernaum. How are people responding to Jesus? How are they viewing Jesus? This is the, the very beginning here. Well, they were rushing to see him. He, he had become, for lack of a better term, famous um, yep. and was, but was different than the other authorities. Uh, he, he was approachable. And he, I mean, he drew crowds, right? Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? You know, hey, you go to a town and hey, the place is packed out. They want to hear your teaching. Um, I mean, on, on a human side, we, we just love that kind of thing, you know, to have that kind of draw. But uh, here, Jesus, I mean, he's, he's teaching. And um, how do we see that, uh, I mean, I think, I think of the, the leper, again, that somebody used that phrase, like, where he's desperate. Um, how are we seeing that here in this story, where people are, are coming to Jesus in that way? Or they go to great lengths. Well, these guys bringing their friend and then tearing apart the roof so they could let him through. <laughs> Wonder whose house that was. How they were yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, it wasn't tin. <laughs> it, it could possibly have been uh, Peter's place. Uh, it, it, uh, it, it seems that. Peter may have had a fairly large home in Capernaum and uh, and perhaps had a, a guest room for Jesus. I could be wrong there, but it seemed that uh, um, I think after he was in the synagogue in chapter 1, they went over to Peter's place. and So there's a possibility that uh, it may have been a section of Peter's house. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't say directly for us, so... No. Um, again, whose house it is exactly? We're not sure, but the the idea that these these uh, friends with their, their paralyzed man went to fair bit of effort. I mean, going through a, a, a roof. Um, again, for those who've seen some of the again, we're the idea of what we assume with this house, even one of these the stairs going up, the flat roof again, where they where they would process things, or there'd be a space up there. You'd have some some wood, but mud. Uh, that kind of structure, again, that's what we're assuming here. They, they would have dug through that. So, that, again, it would not have been a, a quick thing to necessarily get through that. Um, so, how, what, what, what did uh, Jesus see in both the, the paralytic and his friends? You know, what did he say? Or how is it described here? He said he saw their faith. Saw their faith. <laughs> um yeah, I mean that that term right there again, all the way along, right from uh, um, from Abel, you know, some of the the early 
some of the Old Testament stories, the idea of having faith, such an important thing. Um, key thing, but I mean, Jesus, he saw their faith, and I mean, they were they were looking for healing, right? They wanted their friend to be healed. Um, and in some of the previous stories, Jesus commanded it, or you know, he gave instruction. What were his instructions here? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. So I'm looking for a healing. I'm a paralytic. And Jesus says, my sins are forgiven. Now, two levels there. Um, I mean, that's not what, what I'm looking for necessarily. <laughs> but what, what, why is that a, a, a well, I'll say, well, why is it an interesting response to this? Do you, um, maybe, maybe some of you know that the, some of the cultural the thoughts about illness at the time. Do any of you know what uh, how, how they how they viewed illness? Oh. Well, the idea of being a, a paralytic or special needs of any kind or something wrong, whether it be from birth or later, was kind of at fault of either you did something wrong within your life, or if it was from birth, often it was translated into past generations. Yeah. Yeah, your parents or past generations. So the idea of sin is the cause of your illness. And it's mentioned with, with, with the man with blindness in another story, you know, whose parents sinned, hit, you know, or who sinned here. So Jesus, instead of addressing the physical condition, is he's opening up another one of these cultural things. And I mean, he hit it because what what were the religious leaders thinking? How how did they respond? He hit a hot button. <laughs> they were, um, I would say indignant, and um, they were indignant. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and then saying, "Who can forgive sins but God alone?" Mm -hmm. Anybody have, have the word blasphemy in their uh, in their translation? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's it's not just well, that's a little bit. Your teaching's a little off there, Jesus. <laughs> um, uh, this is right on blasphemy, um, and that's I mean that's when it comes to things you can do wrong as a teacher, like that's right near the top there. Um, take and, and misrepresent God's word and God's truth in such a way. Um, I mean, their their question is valid here. The religious leaders, if they're if they're assuming Jesus is just another rabbi, just another person, right? So I mean, like it, it, just who do you think you are, God? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, if we were listening to somebody and they made a claim, I mean, today that, that you know we were walking talking to somebody and they were peaching. And they made a claim that they were God. We'd be, you know, we'd have a flag waving too, right? Um, so the religious leaders, rightly so, have a certain question here. Um, but how does how does Jesus then counter it with them? What, what, what does he bring up for them? Yeah, he's he's highlighting some of their own perspectives on life. I mean, it's now. Yeah. Ask them why they're so skeptical. He said, um, which is easier to say, your sins are now forgiven or stand up and walk? 
if the if the sickness was caused by sin, I mean, it, it, there, there's a, there's a presumption here in this verse that those around this this paralytic would that's what they were assuming. Um, that again, Jesus is countering part of what they were believing, what they what, what they were projecting on people. Um, this judgment of you're sick, so you must have sinned. I mean. It's not just that sickness is bad enough. We're not going to sh- throw on some extra guilt and shame into your life um, to make your life even harder. Um, so Jesus is, is highlighting things, but again, he's he's highlighting this fantastic truth that as I mean, yes, I mean the Pharisees are asking, "Who is this guy?" Like only God can forgive sin. So Jesus is indirectly claiming, "I'm God." Didn't say directly here yet. Indirectly, he's claiming it, um, but then. It, Showing again his, his authority and power by when he when he says, you know, take your mat and walk, go home. There's evidence of again the authority and the power that he has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with that, it's like the one thing is invisible. It's like any of us could say, like you're saying, that any of us could say your sins are forgiven. But it'd be like, we don't even know if that's true or not. You just said it. But then it's like, boom! Watch what I'm going to do now. And it's like now that you saw that you'll probably believe that the first thing I said actually happened. His sins did get forgiven. Yeah, it's all kind of in the in the timing there. Because if it would have been a reverse order, people could have also still said, it's like, well, the first thing was fluke, and you just kind of tagged along with that. But he chose the order very specifically, claiming the more outrageous one first, and then saying, okay, well, there's my claim, now here's my proof. Is he a god of order and purpose, too? <laughs> yeah. Oh, could be. <laughs> That's right. There's also a unique thing here um, that you know isn't highlighted. Well, I mean, I get some people highlighted, but I just love how Jesus knew in His Spirit um, what they were thinking in their hearts. Again, it's one another trait as as the Son of God is God. He knew what they were thinking, what they were feeling. Um, Again, this comes up in a number of, of, of stories in, 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 in the Gospels. So, and imagine how shocked they would have been. Oh, I didn't say that, but, you know, he caught on to that or he knew that. Um, <laughs> Unless they were like writing on the wall, you know, that type of personality. Like, <laughs> But yeah, it does reveal his God character, right? Like, I mean, in a sense, he was reading their mind. Like he knew what they were thinking. Yeah. So, any other thoughts about this story? Things that, that stand out to you? Again, about who Jesus is, people's response. Well, just uh, kind of what I think Judy alluded to uh, earlier, just uh, uh, religious leaders having their kind of their nose put out of joint by being showed, shown up and uh, that uh, they were more, seemed to be more there to find something wrong with Jesus than to actually um, be impacted by Jesus. No. Yeah, and we, we've gone from the first story where Jesus was teaching and he was, there was comparison to the religious leaders, which wouldn't have felt well. But now as we move on to these other stories, we're going to see this escalating. 
mm-hmm. this yeah. tension between Jesus and the religious leaders. Um, so now, as I mean, we just we just covered three stories uh, of Jesus healing, freeing. Um, now, I want you to imagine for yourself if you were one of those people that was was made, you know, was was made clean or was healed. You're told your your sin is forgiven. Um, like, what what would you be thinking or feeling? Um, again, about Jesus, God, whatever. The wonderment, the amazement, the awesomeness of this man. Yeah. Yeah. That he's a lot different than the religious leaders. It's being reinforced over and over again. It'd be like a breath of fresh air, like this, like, oh my goodness, this is not a burden. This is just good. (laughs) Words of life, restoring life, kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of heaven is near, and they're getting a taste of it here. Although they all wanted the healing, I'm sure they were a bit bewildered that they were actually given their healing. You know, even the first guy was saying, if you are willing, right? So there's an, a kind of an unworthiness, uh, state of unworthiness there. And, and so they were they were probably at some level shocked that they were actually healed. Yeah. Well, I think probably all, any of us, if we'd been ill for a long time, especially, <clears throat> you know, you, there'd be that sense of maybe some hope that maybe this could work, but also some pessimism in that, and probably won't. <laughs> um, I know he can, or I think he can. Don't get my hopes too high. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. So I know that I know that this question is it comes up a lot in many different circles, but so he, he has given us his authority, right? And so you wonder why those kinds of things aren't happening as much now. Oh, that's that's quite a question. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I'd say it, it, it's it's a it, it would be one of these. Uh, I'd say let's park that question and, and have it, you know, at a, at a different because it's it's a great question. Um, actually, I, I was I'm working with a, a pastor in, in Buffalo Narrows. Uh, we're talking about he's he's teaching level two, and that question, uh, you know, we have this new life in Christ, and you know, Christ is you know he's won victory. We say he's won victory over Satan, but yet I mean Romans Romans eight where the you know creation is still groaning. Yet, you know, in anticipation for what's to come yet. And so we wonder, you know, why don't we have more of this this amazing life, these some of these miracles? Um, and so that's not a quick question, or not a quick no. conversation. <laughs> and I, and I think I think to cap it, like, because we won't dive into all of that here now, but it, Christ right here is establishing who he is before all these people. Yeah. So he's getting these the, the these miracles of validation, really, of God's yeah. authority and God's um, approval is with him entirely. So I won't go into the into us right now, as you said, the, the same authorities in us, but at least at this point. Yeah. Well, and we'll, we'll see with the with the disciples in a bit, um, in, in, a, in a future lesson here. But yeah, and at this moment, we have that everyone. This amazed everyone, and they praised God. And part of our purpose is, is to give God glory. He, he deserves it. Um, he is worthy of our praise and glory. And uh, it's part of the result of this. So, 
But uh, yeah, we, that's a question for uh, another conversation. I like it. So yeah, you you stay on the line here when everyone else is done. We'll have a talk till midnight. <laughs> so we're going to jump into the next one again. We've got four four stories we want to cover today. Sure, I just want to cap your story there too. With as I was doing some uh, study for this, that I don't know if you guys have heard this before, but that some someone actually has had kind of nicknamed those friends of the paralyzed guy uh, sympathy cooperation originality and persistence have you guys heard that before and uh i thought that was neat yeah they're just a nickname sympathy cooperation originality and persistence and what came to mind was always oh, at the pilgrim's progress but i'm not sure um but anyways i just thought that's neat that we can all as we are uh, witnesses of, of christ and the good news that we can aim to 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 live out those traits as well amongst those around us in this season of COVID, of being sympathetic, cooperating, being original, and being persistent in our faith. Anyways, little little extra bonus there. So in the calling of Levi, another disciple, let's dive into uh, the second chapter of Mark, verses 13 to 17, and we'll read about the calling of Levi. If somebody could read that to me as I turn on some more lights here. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and quotes, sinners, unquote, were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Hmm. Thanks, Tony. So, who were these tax collectors that he, he first identifies here? Is it? They were um, employees of the um, ruling Roman government to collect taxes from the people that would fund Rome. Yeah, and and I think they were Jewish. Is that right? The tax That's collectors. Correct. So, so Jews who were working for the Romans. Um, Really, they were considered a, a traitor uh, because they were collecting these taxes for Rome. And, uh, and, and what else? What else about the tax collectors? Were they uh, outstanding upright citizens or what was a little bit about them? They were given uh, opportunity to profit themselves from what they collected. That's right. And is, did they have a reputation of being fair? No. <laughs> yeah, so there was kind of like a, an understood built-in system of, you know, you take what you need, you'd give us what we're asking you to collect for, you know, the Romans. And, and I'm sure they were really extortionists, that they were taking, you know, they're, they're lining their own pockets first, charging more taxes, making themselves wealthy at the expense of, of their own people, right? So this is where that, that, that trader also plays in again. Um, what would the crowd or, or even the other disciples think of Jesus calling a, a tax collector to follow him? 
are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the captain of a soccer team looking at the lineup and picking like the worst player, perhaps. What? We don't want him on our team. Yeah, anything else? It, it would have been very awkward. Uh, yeah, like, uh, not saying that the other disciples uh, would have been anywhere near perfect. They weren't. Uh, but but this, is, this would be going to an extreme of... Uh, because they, they were so um, scandalous in the uh, sight of upright Jewish citizens, they, they tended to uh, make friends with the, the darker side of uh, society, if my study is, is accurate. And so, you know, they, they you know, prostitutes, uh, thugs that they would use at their disposal to try to get uh, money owed. Uh, they, they, they just uh, uh, were perceived as uh, a bad group, uh, people not to associate with. Yeah. Um, yeah, as you said, there's already some fishermen who have been called. Uh, so Levi isn't the first. Um, but yeah, the rest are seeing him join the team, so to speak. And uh, it would have been it would have been a mind bender. There was more of this this, this turning things over that that uh, was being experienced even by those who were called. And it says there at the end of verse uh, fourteen, Levi got up and followed him. Does that like did anyone do any study further on that? Like he went home and he ordered his he made sure laundry was done and he tied off loose ends. His will was written. You know, he said goodbye to his loved ones, or or is it just as it reads? Just as it reads. Yeah, he just he left it all. He left his opportunity for a, a you know it might have been yeah a, a shady business, but it was a it was a livelihood. It was his life, and he he just got up and left what was familiar and more or less comfortable. Um, so, a, f a further cultural insight beyond the tax collectors being traders and, and all of that, it says he was eating with who else? Tax collectors and? Sinners. Sinners, yeah. Uh, I mean, I find it interesting that it kind of just, you know, almost like there's a, there's a sinner category, there's a tax collector category, and then there's, you know, a Pharisee category. Well, think back to the, the sin debt rope. The, if you're born in Adam... You all, you get, you get a sin debt rope, right? We all have our names on the sin debt chart, a debt against God. So even though it's saying tax collectors and sinners, we know that the tax collectors have a sin debt they cannot pay. The Pharisees do as well. We do as well. Um, and of course, the sinners that are mentioned here. So it says, it says that he goes to eat with the tax collectors and sinners. And um, it was actually the Pharisees, as they saw this, they, they, were, they were baffled. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why were they asking that question? What do you think? Well, was it culturally that to have a meal with someone that that was a pretty strong way of identifying with them? Yeah, for sure. And why wouldn't they want to be identified with? 
Why, why did the Pharisees think that would be shocking? Well, well as mentioned before, tax collectors were viewed as traitors and no one could be dishonest. And then with their quote-unquote sinners, and those would have been those who were seen as morally corrupt by the culture. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, too, if my study does me right as well, that um, it was considered unlawful by these religious leaders for him to do this. Um, this was according to their, their added laws. This wasn't the laws handed from God. But this, th these were the burdens of the law that they had heaped upon the people. You know, how, and how convoluted is that? Don't go with those people that are, you know, tax collectors and, and sinners. You know, God forbid that you go there, Jesus. And so they were shocked, it says, because that's what, what they're thinking in the back of their mind. We don't do this. Why is he doing that? If he's, if he's claiming, you know, going to be a leader, claiming to be God, why would God go and eat with sinners? Um, so then Jesus goes into verse 17 there. He hears them say this and he says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So there he draws the parallel. He's, he's calling... Um, He's calling the sick sinners, and he's calling the righteous those who think they're healthy. And so, um, let's dive into that a little bit more. Why, why can a person think they're healthy or think they're sick? What's going on there in, in, in the thinker? Yeah. Sure. Do you think do you think that um, Jesus is, is, is saying that there's only some who are sick that need that need the doctor? There's and, and if you think you're righteous, you don't need a doctor. What is he what is he unpacking for the people there? It's beyond it's beyond the obvious that we already know that everyone has a sin debt. But what is he communicating under the surface? Remember, we had that chart hanging up. One word started with H, and the other one started with P. Um, he's, um, I guess, calling out the healthy people, you know, for their pride and being completely blind to their need. Yeah, and yeah. That, yeah, can't point for the sinners, those who humbly have recognized that they are sinners before God and helpless and are you know under his wrath yeah yeah thanks for bringing my poorly worded question out of the ditch there brett with a good answer <laughs> yeah so basically you know there's there's certain players on your team you can just throw terrible throws and they'll always catch it and they make you look good so brett i didn't look good there but you kind of salvaged it so thank you um oh. <laughs> good catch so yeah he, he was saying the humble it's the humble who are sick who admit it, that they'll accept my help. And those who are proud and blind think they're just tickety-boo, life will go on, they think they're healthy, they think there's no need for forgiveness and healing uh, for in, in eternal matters. Um, One more swat at those righteous Pharisees. Yeah, he was batting hard here, wasn't he? He was exposing... He, you know, all of these sort of false pillars that they put up under themselves 
elevating themselves above the rest of the people. Um, oh, but I, I could see if I was a Pharisee and Jesus said that, I'd be going, oh yeah, well, I'm one of the righteous ones and I'm not sick. I'm okay. I guess Jesus isn't here to help me. <laughs> it, it, it could almost be, if, if I'm blind enough and I'm full enough of myself and my own self-righteousness, I could actually take what he says here and go, oh, okay, I'm all right. <laughs> I might miss it. Yeah. Even though he's, he's trying to reveal that, sometimes we're so blind, we don't even catch it. Yeah, there's those who I'm sure would be indignant, but those who would be like yeah, naive, really, what you're saying, like like blind to their blindness, right? Deceived in yeah. their deception. That that gets, that's scary. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, take this, let's modernize this. Take this to us today. How does it relate to to us today in our world the sick the healthy in these terms how do yeah something that came to my mind is uh when somebody when you you know we've probably all heard somebody say oh man i just was jeff was here for that sermon you know (laughs) somebody else there's not there's not uh you know no guilt on our behalf but it's great you know man jeff should have been here to hear that and uh, all the while knowing that uh, it was definitely intended by God for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in God's sovereignty and providence, he, he has us exactly where we need to be every moment. And yeah, exactly. We need to hear those messages just as much as the next guy does. <laughs> nice way yeah, to okay. touch of that idea that uh, aside from Christ, we're helpless sinners and uh, that uh, you know the, the, the mankind like to think that they can do something to somehow earn God's favor uh, earn you know uh, a right standing uh, with God and I think we have to watch out even after we come to a place where we realize that that we you know we need to have faith in Christ alone uh, uh, that we don't suddenly at some point revert to the idea that now that uh, I'm a Christian's Christian I can do things to be more accepted by God or or to be superior to someone else uh, you know we need to, to, to keep humbly dependent recognizing that no even in our day-to-day lives we need Jesus amen amen yeah and that, that's one I think we all need to be, we're reading a book right now, actually, Craig and I and our team called Dangerous Calling. Well, Kevin and Katie, too, were reading it. And it's all about that. It's about that daily drinking from the living, living water. Any other questions or comments before we, we take the, a fifth story for tonight? I think you know the uh, where where he says uh, to uh, Levi, follow me. You know we we always think about that as those people that are having their initial encounter with God, and and we're all you know shocked that he you know he just got up and followed them. And then there's some of us that are a little farther along in that faith journey. Jesus continues to say, follow me. And sometimes we come up with excuse after excuse why we shouldn't instead of just being like that guy and saying. You know, whatever the cost, whatever I have to set aside, I, I will follow you. Yeah, reckless abandon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks, Wade. 
All right, do you want to go to the last story here? The last one for tonight. So we're going to go over to Mark, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. And just before this, I mean, Jesus, he's doing these, you know, he's just called Levi. And, and Mark, anyways, is followed on by Jesus' question about some things, about fasting. He's questioned about the Sabbath. And, uh, I mean, just before chapter 3, Jesus, you know, he's, he's responding to this question about the Sabbath. And this is Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Um, he's, we're setting up this, this next story here. And it's setting up Jesus again, going counter and going a little bit head to head with some of these religious leaders. So in Mark 3, another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So by this point, it would have been well known that Jesus can heal people. He's been doing this. And you know, that Jesus was going to the synagogue, and he would teach. Um, again, we're seeing this building uh, tension with the religious leaders. So what, what do we notice about the religious leaders at the start of this story? It's almost like there's a setup going on. A setup? Yeah. And they're really looking um, and watching for a way to hook him. Yeah, yeah. They want to have a reason to accuse him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're, so they're watching closely. Like their wickedness was dripping at this point, really. <laughs> well, we see how Jesus responded in a moment here, but I mean, instead of Jesus, you know, having, you know, he's not, he didn't say, didn't heal the man right away. He didn't, you know, whatever. What did he do here? That's a little bit different. His first thing, well, again, he had the man stand up, but then the words that he asked the whole the group that was gathered there. He was um, addressing kind of at the heart level of the Sabbath, not really the, the form of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that this becomes the, the tension for Jesus and the religious leaders that they had this form of righteousness. Uh, again, we'll, have, we'll see some other verses again in future stories, future lessons, but they were missing the heart of it. What God intended, again, for his law to do and what we intended for his, his people to be as ambassadors, representatives of him in this world, they were missing it. So Jesus, instead of, you know, what's right, what's, what you can you do, what can't you do, he asked a different kind of question. And sometimes, we have to do sometimes, right, for people to, to understand some things. 
change the question up a little bit. And he's asking what's lawful, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. Of course, now, if you're, you're on the receiving end of that question, you, you know the answer that you should say, but you don't want to say it. What's the best thing to do? What did they do? Keep silent. They didn't say anything, right? And this, as the religious leaders, they remain silent. It's like, if I say what I think I should say, you know, I'm going to almost side with what Jesus is getting at, but I'm just going to be quiet. <laughs> and then Jesus, he's not just a little distressed here, or he's not just a little, like he's angry, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, their blindness, their stubbornness. Um, yeah. I mean, he healed the man. Uh, again, another miracle. Only God can do this. Jesus, knowing their hearts, again, he's, he's upset. Um, hmm. We're seeing this this tension between the two, and then, well, I mean, at, at the end of the story, what do the religious leaders? I mean, well, first of all, why were they they so upset at Jesus? I mean, this, this is cumulative now in these five stories. I find it totally bewildering that a man could be uh, have his hand restored. So that he can make a living and bless his family and so on and they would be so upset that they wanted Jesus killed thereby by that action identify more with to do evil and kill <laughs> at least plot to kill someone on the Sabbath yeah. yeah, it just shows their hypocrisy, how deeply rooted and blind they are to it. Well, just on that, that note with the idea of the Pharisees and where their hearts were, were and just and Jesus reacting in anger to their hardness of heart. It's interesting, I, I haven't done a word study on it, so I don't know. Um, I'm reading off the ESV, but it says on how to destroy him, not to kill him. And, I, and it just kind of, the word destroy him, kind of makes me think of like how deep the Pharisees were wanting to go. Like it wasn't just, oh, let's kill the man. Anybody could kill someone. They wanted to completely discredit him, to humiliate him, to ruin his reputation, to like to just kill him. It seems from this translation would be not enough. They, they wanted to wreck every part of him within killing him kind of idea. And, and that's how, that's how ingrained the hatred and the blindness and hardness of heart was in the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And they were more they were more concerned in protecting their traditions than they were about the loss the lostness of mankind, eh? Yeah. It's like you get this feeling of mafia here. Like <laughs> you know, it was like the Pharisee mafia. Well, I mean, it's as we look at I mean who who do they talk to? They went and they were plotting with the Herodians. Do you guys know who the Herodians were? They, they were another political, because we had like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, 
the the Herodians. I mean, you've got the the scribes. You got all these. They're, they're they're religious and political leaders, and the Herodians were siding with essentially Herod, who Rome had put in power, and the Herodians, as a political party, were, were they were advocating for it. Let's, let's go along with this. You know, this is expedient. This is this is this is this is you know, as long if we if we play along, this is good. Pharisees hated that because they wanted their freedom from, from from another rule. So when it came to these the Pharisees and the Herodians, normally there there'd be no way they'd work together. They they didn't like each other, and yet what brought them together was their dislike, their hatred for of, of Jesus. This growing, yeah. They, they hear they were they were looking for a way to to catch Jesus in this moment. Um, I mean, they had it because Jesus healed on, on the Sabbath, and for them, you don't do you don't do any work on the Sabbath. You can't heal. Again, there's another story later on. You know, there's other days in the week where you can heal. You know, don't do it on the Sabbath. Don't come to Jesus on Sunday or, or on Sunday, sorry, Saturday for the Jews, on the Sabbath um, to be to be healed. So they had their. I mean, it was part of what was being revealed here um, is that. Well, I'll ask this question. What, what, what's more important to them? What's the, what are the things that, that are more important to, to, the, to these religious leaders? Doing things their way, their rules, regulations. Yep. Following the rule. I mean, for, for some of them, they say following the law that Moses gave and our laws, our rules. Yeah. Yeah. They, they wanted to maintain the status quo with them having... Uh, the weight of authority yeah, uh, on their side, and they saw Jesus as a threat to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Jesus had, had this following; people were flocking to him. I mean, both there'd be that sense of popularity. I mean, you know, maybe some jealousy there, but also this threat to their power and their way of doing things—the system they had really well established. I mean, Brent, I think you said the mafia. <laughs> um, I mean, there were some of the, the, again, the religious system that was in place, that was very financially lucrative for the Pharisees. Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll see some of that in, in some other stories where that, where that gets that gets mentioned. There, there, was, there was a lot of, from, from finances and power, and that went along with all of this. And Jesus, he was shaking things up. And Brent, you used that illustration of where, you know, it was in, in the first Christ lesson where Jesus came to turn things upside down. Well, if you're the ones on top and you've really established this and you've got it really good, you've got status in the community, you've got power, you've got influence, and Jesus is starting to turn this upside down, I mean, if that's what's more valuable to you, again, your status, your, your power, your position, your comfort, your wealth, then this is dangerous, right? And so we see by their actions and what's, what's going on with the Pharisees. We're setting up here who these religious leaders are. Um, and, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's just going to continue to, to build as we go through the, these, these lessons and the stories of Jesus. So, Well, you can take that um, back, too, with your, what you're saying there, Craig, to, to the Ten Commandments. Do you guys remember what, what the hook was pertaining to the Ten Commandments? <laughs> Or, or you don't it doesn't have to be verbatim, but can you remember why why the Ten Commandments were given? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. To reveal our um, 
inability to perfectly obey God, like our helplessness and our sinfulness. Yeah, exactly. And our, then therefore our need of a rescuer, right? And so here the, the Pharisees really made it harder on themselves. Not only could they not follow the Ten Commandments, but they added more rules thinking that they could follow those perfectly too, which actually pushed them further from um, what God intended. But they thought by abiding by all these things, they would actually uh, earn their righteousness before God. And so um, in Romans, uh, I don't know, did you talk about Romans here, Craig? I didn't hear it, but Romans 3, yeah, 3, 19 and 20. What's that? Go ahead. Yep. Is, uh, it says that no one therefore will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. And so the purpose of the law? To reveal our sin. And what did the Pharisees, were they seeing their sin? Or were they seeing their, their health and self-righteousness? The latter, right? And so, it did not humble them. The Ten Commandments didn't humble them. Or any of the other leaders that were around them at the time. Um, and so, here we see that that classic uh, a Satan taking hold of their pride on autopilot. And blinding them to, to their only source of rescue, their true rescue. The Ten Commandments were designed to humble them, to expose their need. Instead, Jesus needed to expose their self-righteousness. And, they, and, and this whole time, they weren't humbling themselves to see that their only rescuer was standing before their eyes. Yeah. Yeah, they're missing it. And again, as you start getting to the next lesson, again, you will, we'll, we'll catch a little bit of, of some more of that... Uh, Again, what they're seeing, what they're sort of almost trying to de deny in a lot of ways. So, um, next lesson. So, as we, as we kind of look at the overall questions now, we, we see Jesus working with a, a possessed man. There was a, a leper uh, that we talked about, a paralytic. And, and then the, all, these onlookers, religious leaders and, and others. Um, how, how has Jesus demonstrated his power? And just really, let's just summarize it here. What do you guys, how would you summarize that he displayed his power through these, these biblical accounts? He spoke and what he commanded happened immediately. That's right. The same one who spoke the world into the universe into existence spoke healing into these lives and forgiveness. Yeah. Um, I mean, he healed, he cast out demons, he forgave sin. He, he, I mean, he, he knew what hearts were thinking. Um, how does he show his love? How did he display his love for the people? By touching them. Yeah. yeah touching the untouchables, loving the unlovable. That's right. Yeah. Going cross-culture. Cross-cultural, healing the sick, forgiving those who were, who were castaways uh, to those and, and forgiving those who, who truly believe that he was the one capable to forgive sins. What do all these things affirm about who Jesus is? To me, they really do, or one thing that they affirm um, is him being God, but also that as human beings were created in the image of God, that God has such a deep compassion and love for us as humans. Mm, that's awesome, Brett. Yeah. 
yeah, that he is God and that he is he is tightly connected with his creation, his his image bearers, his prized possession. And and who did who did Jesus come to save and help? From what you've seen here, what would you say? The sick and the needy. Yeah, the sick and the needy. Those those who sought help, those who who were humble of heart, whose will who's who saw the their need and their wills chose God, chose chose to be rescued by Jesus. Um Yes, Brett, Tony? The helpless. The helpless, yeah. But I, I think by virtue of the fact that he always went to the synagogue and he always went to the place where the religious leaders were and that really the gospel is for everyone because in showing those other people that, uh, that were classified as sinners, uh, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the authority of God, he was also showing that to the Pharisees, and some of them did turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he, how many chances did he give the Pharisees just in these few chapters, right? Like, it, was, it wasn't just one and you're done. He, he kind of came at them from a few different angles, and, and for sure, at any point in time, could they not have submitted to the, to the reality that was before them? I think that's a good point, Wade, in that uh, I think uh, um, he was, trying over and over you say hey, you guys wake up you know uh he he was in a sense pleading with them to, to turn around and to, to see things uh, the way they really are mm. it was just so costly for them to do that though right it was a huge cost yeah, yeah. and they were valuing what was so temporal though mm-hmm. their, their gaze was was wasn't eternal <laughs> You know, but I think they, they fall into the trap that so many people fall into. Is we're talking about the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And, and so many, even people that claim to be Christians these days, would just like to know the black and white of it all, right? What's the but, bare minimum, but, yeah. But when you when you start to recognize that there there's so much that we don't know, it puts you in that very vulnerable position. And they don't want to be put in that vulnerable position. Yeah. yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't have done very well at the Great Awakening, would they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's fair, there are Pharisees today. They just don't wear these big robes. <laughs> but that goes right back to the beginning when God kept giving the people that needed to know him. He kept giving chances over and over and calling and talking and trying to show them the right way right from the beginning yeah i mean it was a great display of his of his character of grace and mercy and the god of umpteenth chances and uh but yeah was it for naught i don't believe so i mean yes it displayed his power and made made his name known among the nations like with uh with pharaoh but it also uh, I, I think it was not, not for naught he he did this with the opportunity that people could could be rescued, of course. So what do you guys think after, after all this, uh, I, all of this upsetting, what would you say? Is Jesus, is Jesus a rebel rouser? Is he, is he one that wants to upset cultural norms just for the sake of it, to cause a ruckus? Or, or what do you think was the, the, the real root, the real purpose of what he had in mind what, with what he did in these accounts? 
I think he was uh, out to try to get people to release soul search to 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 question um, themselves to wrestle with uh, uh, who he was uh, and his his authority and uh, um, by upsetting the people against this theory of what rabbis and, and people who law and stuff like that uh, did or did not do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, oh. go ahead. Well, it stands out to me that everything he did was motivated by love, that anything he was confronting them, if they left those ways, it'd be for their good. And also, also looking at, um, was it like with touching the man, uh, man with leprosy, and treating him like a human being? It also, the, if society were really to do that, then that would be better society. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he. We haven't got quite into it, um, but just thinking of the passage of Paul where he talks about becoming all people for all people, it seems like he, he's already toned it down from Christ. And I just kind of think of the idea of a hot tub when you have uh, a spa or something like that and you add the right amount of chlorine as you keep going, it keeps the pool at what it's supposed to. But if it's slowly getting worse and worse and worse, at one point in time, you need to do what's called shocking the pool. You super chlorinate it. You have this massive amount of chlorine that's way above what you'd normally add, but you have to shock the system in order to get it. But as soon as you've shocked it, then you can go back to the regular doses. And you kind of see that in a way here, too. Is like Jesus knows that it's, it's been so long, and the people are just set in their own ways. And so he's, he's intentionally doing it to upset the system and upset the culture. There you go, yeah just for the sake of upsetting it is not the point for the sake of he needs to have that shock for people to wake up and say whoa what have we become who are we what are we doing and then from that then he sends the disciples out and then you see paul later on in his ministry he says yeah i'll, I'll change my habits i'll change my ways to to come like you so that you may know who christ is and so you kind of have that same scenario going yeah, there needed to be a the figurative slap in the face, right? Like, wake up. Like, yeah, highlighting the religious, you you said the word there, systems, right? Highlighting the religious systems that they put in place and, and, and put higher esteem on those things that they created, right? And that self-dependency. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Totally. No, I like, that's really cool, all the stuff you guys shared there. Thank you. Um, Tony, did I hear? And the, stuff, and the system had become a lot. It was really a corrupted um, Judaism uh, as opposed to what God had given through Moses. Yeah, yeah, just the yeah. pure pure and simple. Yeah, and, and for, for some of those that were looking for the Messiah, and we talk about you know, the kingdom of God, what so many of them were looking for in within their the framework of their system or the, their mindset was that political leader who was going to get rid of Rome. And that was, for them, that was part of establishing God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is going to become a new, you know, Israel's free. Um, and that fit nicely within their paradigm of, and I could still be the Pharisee, and I could still have my power and my, and all this stuff. 
whereas Jesus is, as he's modeling here, it's not about this, this, you know, political um, kingdom that he's, 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 he's setting up here. It's about what God really was intending. Again, the idea of the, of the love and, and the, the humbleness and the faith. Um, but unfortunately, again, they, they, they were missing it. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're understanding what God's kingdom was, this kingdom that was coming, you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. They're understanding what that was. Again, they like their own version of it. Because <laughs> yeah. it fit well. It didn't put things upside down for them. And yet Jesus is demonstrating something different. God's kingdom is different than this the system that they were looking for. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, and I love how within this within this lesson that we see how various people demonstrated their faith, putting their, their faith in God and in Jesus. Again, a, a key key truth and a key concept. Um, I mean, it's been all the way, all the way through the Old Testament, but again, that the idea of coming. Trusting, having faith, believing, um, yeah. Again, and we'll see more of that as we go into into into, into future lessons. So, what are some of the final questions here, Brent? Well, I'm just looking at. Do we want to kind of wrap up with uh, just before we conclude with a couple of contrast questions? Um, yeah. I mean, we we have a we have a, a God in in flesh coming here to rescue the people. He's compassionate. He he's. You know, you think of like, uh, who, what did they say of uh, Princess Diana? She was like the princess of the people, right? Like Jesus is like the, like the God of the people. Like he was jumping over these leaders, coming to them. But the Pharisees being blind, um, they had a lot of things, a lot of fronts they were putting up to, to sort of block the message in their hearts. Um, today, you know, like I said, Pharisees might not have long robes, but, um, you know, a lot of us even have moments of Pharisaical attitudes in our hearts and, and how do we how do we act like the pharisees or, or um yeah what stands in the way even amongst ourselves to to understand the grace that we need for today from from god what gets in the way i mean we can say pride but let's talk let's go below that let's what it, what are those things maybe education more education? Yeah, we think that uh, perhaps if we had a certain amount of education, that that somehow makes us superior uh, to others. Yeah. What else? Anything else come to mind? Dwelling on negative, the things that um, we see other people are doing wrong or the government or just focusing on um, things outside ourselves. And and I'm hearing some people talking about that they're really having to focus on the inner, what's happening on the inside of them. And that's not ones that are believers. But I think as believers that we need to look at that too. Just even for me, it's like this Establish 101 has been start to look at these things who god really is and and, you know he says lukewarm i'll cast i'll spit you out of my mouth and it's just like putting some real positive into what is god's character who is god and then who am i in god Mm -hmm. yeah and i I know for myself even like and, and and 
and some of us have talked about this already, but this idea of, you know, it's a, it, it's, it gets, um, sometimes a novelty can wear off because you're day in, day out, you're communing with God, but you're not really stopping to commune with God. You know, you're checking off a box and, and that's what the Pharisees got to. They thought they were checking off all these boxes and, and, and I know I'm guilty of that. And how many of you guys, you know, have fallen prey to that at times too, where it's like, no, we're, we're reading the book with the author who's present with us right now, the one who loves us right now. Um, yeah, anything else with that stands out? Standing in the way. I think um, fear, in that we like the quote-unquote security of the, the earthly possessions, the wealth or position yeah um but also even the pleasures and the fear of kind of losing everything you've made for yourself i guess right yeah yeah the comforts whatever they may be yeah so then we see jesus though that he uh, through this lesson, he, he wants to come and heal the sick and forgive the sick, right? Not, not those who are fearful or blind uh, of their need. And so, I mean, as we, not, not to go too quick, but I want to be respectful of our time that you guys have given to us tonight. But we, as we go forward this week and, and for, forever, you know, let, let's keep in mind that it, it's the humble of heart. You know, God wants us to just drink from him, to, to receive from him, to take from him. Not to think that we got it all together like the Pharisees thought they did and, and they were exposed as to being quite the opposite, not having it together. Um, so let's, let's let Jesus turn things over in our lives uh, and write things, you know, get them back the way that they're meant to be. Um, he offers healing. He offers forgiveness, not just physical healing, but spiritual healing, restoration of that chasm that we cannot cross apart from him. He is the rescuer. He is the bridge uh, through the forgiveness of sins. Um, and, and let's just challenge yourself thinking this week, and you don't have to ask, answer this, but do we, do we come to God like the leper, falling on our knees, displaying humility, desperate, or the paralytic, desperate in faith? Or do we approach God self-righteously thinking, you know, I'm in full-time ministry, like I'm pretty good. You know, I'm pretty good. I, I'm in the Bible every day for other people, you know. Um, am I like the Pharisees? Just ask yourself that, you know, as we as we part ways tonight. Um, so yeah, are we looking to God for help? Or are we looking to ourselves for help? You know, you think back to Adam and Eve. Are you covering yourself with fig leaves? Or are you taking what God has provided as an acceptable covering? Um, and uh, that that kind of wraps it up. I, I, I like the way the the little flip book here kind of kind of concludes tonight. So I'm just going to kind of read that in closing for our summary as jesus went around teaching and preaching people brought the sick and the paralyzed to him to be healed jesus was filled with love and compassion for them he healed the sick he forgave the sins of those who truly believed he was god the son of god and this made of course as we heard the religious leaders angry they were more concerned about protecting their traditions than they were about lost mankind and so sin and satan and their own pride blinded them these leaders from seeing that Jesus was God in the flesh, the one who could save them. Amen. Any questions before we hang up?
comments or anything from you, Craig? Or uh, this may appear to be picky, uh, and I, the people who do this, I think they're uh, not necessarily wanting to. Uh, no, very few people potentially try to be uh, wrong and stuff like that. But there is sometimes a tendency uh, for uh, people to be t teaching from this and calling the, the teachers of the law, uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the Christians of that time. And I think we need to be very careful about that because uh, uh, maybe this is just my own position, but I, I don't believe they were... Christians at all, they, they were re, uh, rejecting Christ, with a few exceptions like Nicodemus and, and some others, but uh, as a whole, they were rejecting Christ, they were murderous, uh, and they just, you know, were, like the things said here, they, you know, they were being guided by Satan, uh, not by God. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the, uh, Christian, they weren't called Christians until after Christ died, were they? We weren't. That name wasn't there. I think not. I think you're right, Judy. That's correct. I, I came later on, but as far as what they would call, I mean, maybe another phrase, believers. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they were very religious, um, but there were definitely those that were still seeking truth. They were still seeking, you know, God's kingdom. Looking for the Messiah, looking for the Deliverer, and again, actually the next lesson. If you if you guys want to read ahead, you, if you want to read the story of Nicodemus, that, that's for next. Uh, that'll be the network. One of the stories that we look at. It's the one of the actually the main story that we'll look at next lesson. Um, so, yeah, the story of Nicodemus. Did you guys enjoy enjoy being able to read ahead for this lesson tonight? I mean, I didn't provide many days or, or much time, but. Um, was that uh, yeah. fun for those who yeah. could? No, I appreciate that. Uh, no, it's, it's nice to get a little heads up about uh, where we're going to be going tonight. Cool. Well, I'll try and help uh, do that with next time when I when I send out the notes. So Craig gave you a bit of the Nicodemus. Do we have the rich young ruler in that one too, Craig? I believe. No, uh, the Nicodemus is is the, is the is the main story through the. You know, I think it covers the, the majority of the lesson. Okay. So um, there is one other story, and it's just not coming to mind right now <laughs> that's all good well uh craig do you want to wrap up our time in prayer and uh and then we're class dismissed <laughs> all right well let's pray god we thank you thank you that uh, you've given us your word um again thank you that you're a god who wants to be known and uh you, you reveal much to us about yourself again uh, who you are um, again, your your awesomeness, your your power, your authority, and yet your your love and your compassion, your gentleness, and God, your desire to, to heal and to restore. God, you're a giver of life, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, and we look, we look forward to that in glory when it's uh, when all all these these hardships and sufferings are gone. But again, right now we can know your presence and you know your peace and your strength and. And God, as we look into your word, help us to, to think on you 
to these days as we carry on tonight in the coming days coming weeks that again our our lives would be would be rooted and grounded in you um again we find our life in you uh, again the things you need to teach us maybe again our eyes if you know, our eyes need to be open to, to sin things we're blind to god that you would do that and then we turn we, we would humbly come to you and again receive your forgiveness God, the things you want to encourage us in and challenge us in god continue to do that things you want to call us to i think of levi again when you call him he just came god of whatever you're calling us to today and again in the coming days help us to respond willingly and quickly now again knowing that you provide what we need you know what we need and you provide it and you, you take care of us and so yeah again we thank you thank you for for brent and for this group and god as we think about what you want to do in the lives of the families here and the, the community in Whitehorse and training communities. And we just, we just look, uh, we pray, looking forward to what you're, you want to do as, as for your kingdom and your, and your gospel to go out to more people. So, and we thank you and we give you All praise. Right. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay.